Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dead or Dennis Maller, interviews artists and entertainers about their day jobs and the artist and or entertainer, or in this case, both, that is joining me on the program today is cruise ship comedian Scott Henry. Uh, Scott and I met through Clubhouse. Uh, we have actually not technically met because we haven't seen each other in person. We only know each other virtually, which a lot of my guests recently have become uh, people who are pandemic friends, uh, as I've been calling them. So it's nice that this is the good thing about the pandemic is that I'm interacting with people that I never probably would have had a chance to interact with because we weren't near each other. We weren't in the same place. We weren't meeting face to face because of whatever's going on. But I'm meeting people because of Zoom, Clubhouse. In this case, it is Clubhouse um, and other platforms and, and social media and stuff. But so, yeah, I joined Clubhouse. Let's see here. It's May of 2022 when we're releasing this episode. Clubhouse, I joined, I want to say it was January of 2021, right in the middle of the pandemic, towards the end of the pandemic, somewhere in the pandemic. I'm still confused at where we're at, and it is, it's definitely not over, but it's so far from the beginning, I'm not sure where we're at in it, but or when anything was in it, other than, you know, the entire time was depression. That was the only thing that I knew about it. Anyway, I uh, joined Clubhouse. And of course, we'll talk about this on the show, but just love give you all an introduction. I, or a little background. I, I joined Clubhouse in January. I wanted to try and really get into what this app was. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to be a part of it. And I didn't like it at first. Uh, but what really turned me around was Scott Henry, his wife, Catherine, uh, and their club on Clubhouse, which was called at the time, uh, Comedy HQ. It's now called the Big Comedy Network. Uh, and we'll talk about this. There's a, there's an announcement. I'll announce it now, even though it's not quite properly announced. But uh, this podcast, So What Do You Really Do, is joining the Big Comedy Network. The uh, reason we haven't made the official announcement is because, well, we're having some technical issues transferring myself into their system. But it's going to happen. Uh, and they could not have been like nicer and more complimentary and more of a big fan and, and supporter of me. And it's great. But I met that's they're the reason that I stayed on clubhouse. Um, previous episode with Philip Wilburn, you will hear me say the same thing. It was because of the comedy lounge, the big comedy network uh, that I found like-minded people, group of people I wanted to be around people. I wanted to constantly come back to and talk with and hang out and listen to. Uh, and that's what the pandemic brought. That was the only good thing about the pandemic is I got to interact with people from across the country internationally. I got to interact with people internationally. I had a lot of sit down Zoom chats with comedians from India and listening to what they're going through over there. They're literally getting arrested. Not they, one apparently. But comedians in India are, are literally getting arrested for comedy. And to hear somebody talk about, you know, what it's like to live through that. Meanwhile, here we're here like, Oh, I'm worried some redneck's going to come up and slap me in the face for me telling an offensive joke. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yo, I I, I, I can go on for hours about the amount of comedians who are like, oh, I can't wait to crop McGraw some uh, heckler who's going to come and check me on stage. I'm like, you're the person that got picked on in school and you claim that's the reason why you're on stage telling jokes. Maybe, be, maybe calm down there, Chuck Norris. Anyway, huge distraction. Sorry. But yeah, Scott Henry. Uh, and his wife, Catherine, are super nice and wonderful and just so accepting and amazing. And I'm really glad to be a part of the Big Comedy Network uh, when it's official, which, you know, paperwork has been signed. It's official enough for me, but we haven't made the announcement. 
which that will be coming soon. Once we get past some of these technical errors. And if you follow me on social media, you'll probably see that I <laughs> live in a world of technical errors. Uh, anyway, on that note, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you, Scott, about besides the impetus behind creating the Big Comedy Network was more he is a comedian who does cruise ships. And that is something I find interesting because you hear a lot of derogatory talk from comedians about it. It's a, Being a cruise ship comedian is almost a punchline. You know, Scott loves it, uh, and we get in deep about what it is to be a cruise ship comedian, to be a comedian on these ships. And I find it fascinating because it sounds like fun to me. You know, it sounds like the road, only you're not physically traveling. Um, and, of course, the road sounds fun to me, but so many comedians that I talk to talk about how it's a lonely place and how it's rough and traveling. And I was like, you know, probably because I don't do a lot. I don't do a lot of travel, but when I have the opportunity to travel, I enjoy it. You know, I find the the hustle and bustle to be enjoyable. Now, granted, it does suck when I don't have time uh, or the fact that I'm on a plane is just a loss of time. Like, there's not much you can do on a plane. Like, let's talk about a lot of the video and audio editing I do as both a source of income. And for this and our sponsor of today's show, Word of the Day with Comedians. Yes, my other podcast. Uh, Word of the Day Comedians, where a comedian and I get together. We pick a word, we make fun of it, and create the most funniest, absurd sentence we can using it in context. It's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary, and it's available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube as an actual video YouTube show. Check out Word of the Day on Comedians today, after you listen to this podcast. But yeah, I, so when I'm on a plane, or driving on the road, if I was, you know, traveling, you know, which I did before the pandemic a little bit, that's just downtime. That's loss of time. There's nothing you can do while you're traveling. Now, granted, I could put everything on a laptop, sit on a plane and edit audio and edit video on a laptop. I don't have the money to buy a laptop that can, in addition to my desktop computer that I do all my work on, I don't have the money to buy a laptop to do just that with, especially one that's going to be able to handle that capability. But that is an option. But how much time do you really get to work. I mean, if I'm driving, zero time to work. I can't edit a podcast or video or a vlog or YouTube show or anything and drive. You know, maybe I can I can join up with another person, maybe, and let them drive while I work. But I'm not a headlining comedian, and I can't be affording to hire someone to open for me. And no one's hiring me to be the passenger slash opening act. Not yet, at least. Maybe that'll maybe that'll be down the road. But, you know, it still sounds like fun and interesting to me. However, lots of time, you know, downtime at the hotel. You work what? What's it, What's the old adage? We work one hour a night, two hours a night. And then I have the whole rest of the day to fill. But, like I said, all that sounds fun and interesting to me. It's just a matter of getting able to do those things. So... Scott doesn't do any of those things, but he does have a life. He does write. Uh, I was fascinated to hear about his writing process as someone who is traveling and working and being on cruise ships and stuff like that. It was fascinating. We talked about that. You'll hear all about it. I find it fun and interesting. I assume you do as well. That's why I ask these questions because I feel like you are coming here because you find the same things that I find fascinating or you're looking for something to be fascinated with. And that's what I'm providing with you. And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with cruise ship comedian and now Comedy Network founder, Scott Henry. All right, ready when you are, man. 
You know what? Let me open this because I was thinking about this today. Um, I, I, I can't. I'm not the kind of person that uh, easily answers the question. Hey, how are you doing? With just I can't. I can't just say fine. I have to tell people everything that's going on with me, whether they want to hear it or not, because I want to hear how other people are yeah. doing. If there's things going wrong, things going bad, I want your honest answer. I don't want somebody to go, uh, it's fine when everything's not fine. But then I overshare yeah. and I turn people off. Oh, uh, that's so funny. As for you, who's someone in on, you know, when, when you're on the cruise ships and you see the guest over and over, do you yourself have a standard, uh, reply to when you're walking past guests and they're like, Hey, what's up? Or past the staff and like, how are you doing? Do you just have a standard go to, Oh, you know, it is what it is or whatever. Um, or do you, or are you like me an overshare with strangers <laughs> that you're trapped with for a week at a time? Yeah, no, I, man, I always, uh, am just try to be organic. You know, I just try to be organic. Like, Hey, how you doing? And, and just, you know, they're nice enough to come up and, and say that they enjoyed the show. Then, you know, I try to give them the time of day. I'm not, I just try to answer, answer as honestly as possible. It's like, you know, it's like dealing with hecklers, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the more, uh, organic it is, then the better it is, you know, rather than a made up line or something like that. Uh, that's good to know because I, I, it's, I worked, I grew up in the service industry. I started, you know, waiting tables, bar backing, bartending, stuff like that. And I have this natural inclination that when I walk past people just to smile and say, Hey, how you doing? Because when you're running, when you're walking through a restaurant, you look yeah. at the other guests and they're sitting at their tables like, Hey, how, how's everything? How are you doing? Even if it's not your table, you just still feel, uh, obligated. Uh, I do to just greet other guests. Like, Hey, how's everything going? How are you doing? you like that, that, that mentality. And I can't imagine me having right. to bring that kind of attitude Absolutely. to a cruise ship where I'm see, you know, seeing the same 3000 some people uh, every day for a week straight and just be like walking around the ship going, Hey everybody. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I feel like you're the kind of guy that would just like, Oh, I'm just going to be low key. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go about my business. I'm not going to acknowledge that I'm a staff member. I'm just uh, like, is that your attitude when you're walking on the ship? It's like, Hey, I'm just going to be Scott, just another person on the ship until they realize I'm the, the comedian for the, for the boat. Or do you treat them like you're a crew member and you're that. like, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think, I just, think you're the, Hey, I feel like I'm part of the crew kind of guy. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm not part of anything. I, I just, you know, I just exist. <laughs> I, I honestly, I really do. I just walk around. Uh, we're like, we're guest entertainers. That's what they call us guest entertainers, <laughs> which means we're an entertainer, but we're also a guest, which means we don't have to wear a name tag. We don't have to do anything like that. We can just walk around and, uh, you know, in the first few days, you're pretty uh, uh, unrecognizable. And then as the week goes on, you know, people start recognizing. But but it's OK. It's not like, uh, you know, people are uh, very rarely is is anybody like a pain mm -hmm. in the ass. You know what I mean? They're usually just like, hey, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say I enjoyed your show or, you know, so you can't can't hate somebody for that. <laughs> well, that's good because it's I, like we've all dealt with you know, comedians, we've all dealt with people leaving at the end of the night. You're standing by the door, hoping somebody will say they really liked your show or they'll buy a piece of merch. Um, or, you know, they'll just say yeah. something nice to you as you're walking out. But then I can't imagine having to have that same kind of attitude yeah. for six, seven days straight where you're just like hoping somebody's going to be like, Hey, I saw the show last night. Hello. Some people may be annoyed by that. I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about it. Cause I definitely sit there at the end of the show going, 
Please, somebody say they like me. Please, somebody said they like me. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred years past that. <laughs> if 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 you liked me, you liked me. If you didn't like me, you know that's that's okay too. Comedy's subjective. I always say that's why they call it a sense of humor. Some people don't sense it. <laughs> All right, well, let's go backwards and start talking about, because I'm really fascinated by the whole cruise ship entertainer thing in general, not just comedians, just like the people they put on cruise ships, because a couple of years ago, this is when this kind of occurred to me that how strange this business is. A couple of years ago, I uh, was getting hired by this guy to do mm-hmm. comedy in these uh, apartment buildings, uh, and I think he really missed the boat by not calling it condo comedy. Uh, he called it like comedy mafia or something, some dumb name that didn't make sense. But um, so I found out. Was it like in a pasta place? <laughs> That's comedy mafia. <laughs> so I would uh, go and I would open up for another comedian. Uh, and then one or two times I, I kind of headlined them myself, but not really. Uh, so I'd go in, would be in the convention or not the convention, but like the common room of these really mostly high end apartment buildings and condos and stuff. And I'd come in and most of them would look and go deliveries are around back. Uh, but the other, uh, when they would realize that I'm the entertainer, we go into these common rooms and everybody comes out from rooms and we do comedy from it. And it's very much, it feels so much like the court gesture, you know, performing for the Lords and ladies of the court. It's very, um, very weird, but fun, rewarding, and, you know, made some money doing it. Uh, and that's when I realized that these apartment buildings, these high-end ones, have to find things to do to entertain their their residents. So every month they have some kind of like pizza party, ice cream social, yeah. comedians. They have DJs come in and they do all these things. And that's a whole set of business for that industry that I have to imagine is tenfold <coughs> for a cruise ship because a cruise ship is is you know like a typical. How long is a typical typical? cruise for guests a week two weeks seven days usually every cruise line has different you know amount of days cruises so that's poor english but (laughs) what i could tell you is that sometimes it's a three-day cruise right they'll just go down to the bahamas they'll cruise down to the bahamas they'll go like uh royal caribbean has this thing it's called it's an island called coco Cay. and they bought this little island many years ago many years ago i was used to i was going there when you had to tender in and our tender in. And, uh, and so it was, you know, there was nothing there. And then they spent a half a billion dollars putting up the, one of the best water parks ever. Um, they have a gigantic wave pool. They have, I don't know how many pools they have cabanas and stuff. So what people will do is they'll, they'll get on in like Florida and they'll cruise down into the Bahamas and um, maybe stop in NASA Bahamas one day. And then the next day they'll do uh, Coco K, stay there all day, and then they'll make their way back to back to Florida, either Miami or Port Canaveral, uh, and uh, and that's it. And so it's a three day cruise, but most of them are seven days. Okay, there's some five dayers, but the longer the cruise, the older the crowds. <laughs> okay, so if there's a fourteen day cruise. You know, you're you're going to hear some Velcro shoes. And uh, if there's a 21 day cruise, then there's probably going to be three or four deaths uh, <laughs> on the uh, on the cruise. Well, that's what's fascinating is like they have to plan all kinds of entertainment for people over a, a, a multiple day period. And I got to imagine that it's 
difficult for them to try and find different acts because I don't know for you as a community, you're not doing the same show. Yeah. If it's a seven day cruise, you're not doing the same show seven days over and over. Are you like, I'm assuming you're performing maybe once, twice the whole week or what's the typical schedule for a comedian? It's all different. There's some cruise ships. Let's just say I'm going to work one of Royal Caribbean's uh, smaller ships, right? Uh, they're still big, but smaller ships, like 3,000, 3,500, something like that. Um, you fly on in the middle of a cruise, okay? And when you're in the middle of the cruise, that like that night or the next night, you'll do your late show, which is like a 35 to 40-minute you know, adult comedy show in the theater. Then like a day, day or two later, it'll be the farewell show for that cruise, right? So I'll go up and do about 15 to 18 minutes uh, of different material for that, that show. Then the next day, everybody will get off of the ship. All new people will get on the ship. And then that night I'll do a welcome aboard show, which is like 15, 18 minutes. And then a, a, a night or two later, I'll do an adult show in the theater. And then um, the next day I fly off. You know, so that's one way of doing it. Um, another way is Royal Caribbean has these big ships. They're in the Oasis class. They're gigantic. They have 6,500 passengers and about 4,500 crew. And they have a comedy club on there. And <clears throat> we used to do 14 shows in a week. What? 14. Um, and now, yeah, and now they're doing like nine. Um, but uh, they're only 25 minutes long. You know, and different people come every night. You know, rarely do people come two, three, four times, you know, because you could, you know, I change up my material, but it's only 25 minutes. So I can do, you know, three, four, you know, different shows. Um, and so you have that, which I like. I like doing nine or 10 shows because I like to work. I'm out there to try and write material. Um, and then on, uh, so you do nine shows, 25 minute shows, different, you know, different nights. Some nights you have two nights, uh, two shows. Some nights you have, no shows and uh, some nights one show. So uh, then on uh, Norwegian uh, cruise lines uh, for the, you know, the management company Levity. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. And they also have, they also have all the comedy clubs. They bought up all the improvs called Levity live. Um, so they have their branding on the ships on like, I think eight or nine of the ships is called Levity Live on the NCL cruise lines and they have a comedy club. And so I'll do 40 minutes in there of like family friendly. Uh, so there's like six year olds in the, in the audience, <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll, and it's ridiculous, you know, but it is what it is. So you have to do 40 minutes in front of like kids and parents, but kids in the front row. And then, uh, you know, a couple nights later, we do a completely different 40 minute set of adult material. So that's basically what you do. So you kind of have to have about an hour and a half of material that you can do half of it in front of kids and the other half, you know, it doesn't matter. I always hear people talk about cruise lines, nobody in depth, but you hear that, yeah, you end up doing like clean shows. And then somebody was like, oh yeah, no, we do adult shows too. And I'm like, I figured all... all all it is is just you're doing mm -hmm. one hour clean for people a couple times through the thing, maybe. Uh, but it's it's mm -hmm. interesting to hear that there's a whole that there's a whole club. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing the club show is like is a traditional uh, host feature headliner. Yeah. So there's possibly 
three. Like, how many comedians would be on um, a cruise together? Um, on the small ships on Royal, one. Okay. Um, on the big ships on Royal, two. Uh, on the Levity Live ships on NCL, two comics. And what those two comics do is they used to have an MC and th and two headliners. Okay, so then the MC would have to do all these shows, like 14 shows, because, you know, they'd put an MC out there. He'd do like 10 or he or she would do 10 or 12 minutes and then bring the headliner out and do 40 minutes, 35 to 40 minutes. Right. But now they eliminated the MC because probably budget <laughs> reasons and, you know, it costs more to fly in another person. And they weren't at full you know, strength for quite a while. So they're trying to save a little money. So now it's just me and the other comic. But. I do my show and then like the next night he'll do his show and you know, we'll do that. But in, in total, probably do five or six shows that week each. Okay. All right. That's interesting to hear. Cause that's, that's definitely different than the way the rest of the comedy business runs. Uh, it's weird that, that, that cruise lines, it creates yes. that kind of different thing. Like, you know, you've done corporate uh, private events and stuff like that. And I know you've walked into a corporate, uh, a private comedy booking and they're like, all right, so we would like you to do this, 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 and this. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's not how comedy shows work. Let's let me go out there and just do my jokes. Or, you know, like I'm, I've gotten them like from gig salad or yeah. gig masters or one of those dumb things. They're like, Hey, we want you to come out. And then can you do like 10 minutes before the bridal shower? And then do like 15 minutes after the bridal shower. And we want you to hang out and walk around and like, no, I just want to come in here and give you my 30 minutes of jokes. And then you hand me a check. So it's interesting that cruise lines are taking yeah. the model that you're used to and changing the format around. Well, they have to, for what they're doing, you know, they used to just do, you know, only clean stuff, but they had to get rid of that. You know what I mean? Because people were complaining. They're like, Hey, I don't want to go to a comedy show with eight year olds in the front row. I don't, you know, and that was actually, uh, one of the cruise lines. I'm not going to say which one, but one of the cruise lines did not want to do adult shows. Like when they, how do I do this? <laughs> when they started doing comedy in a, a certain way, um, I was talking to the entertainment director and he's like, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Is, are we going about this the right way and everything else? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, it's all good. Um, and he was like, well, we want to do more shows. And I go, don't do more shows. And he goes, well, you know, people love comedy. I go, yeah, that's, that's great. I said, but here's a glass of Coke. All right. Just take a swig of that Coke. Takes a swig of the Coke, right? I go, okay, now I'm going to pour uh, some water in it. Now try it again. You go, yeah, it's not that good. Okay, now I'm going to put a bunch of water in there. How's it taste? And I'm like, doesn't taste good, right? It was metaphorical. <laughs> and I said, all the comics have the same amount of material, okay? They don't, they're not going to write an extra half hour because you need it. So all they're going to do is stall. All they're going to do is stretch their material. So you're not getting any more comedy. All you're doing is taking down the level of the comedy, Right. Because, you know, corporate people, they, they don't, they don't, it's not that they don't, they don't understand. They don't, but it's not just that. It's that a lot of times they don't want to understand. They don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of hold your ground. Like they didn't want to do adult shows either. And I was like, you got to do adult shows. And he's like, oh, we don't like to do that. We don't want to tell people they can't bring their kids. I'm like, I said, listen, dude, nobody wants to be at a comedy show 
with kids. I said, they'll do it because they're, you know, forced to. It's at eight o'clock. I go, but adults want adult material shows. And he goes, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. I go, well, pay attention to those comment cards. And, and I'll bet you in the next, you know, five or six months, you're going to have to switch up. And he did. Mm. And they switched up. And so people love the adult comedy. I mean, people realize what a challenge it is to do comedy. Like I always say, I'll come to a comedy show and it's never ceases to amaze me how ignorant people are. <laughs> uh, we're getting ready to do a show. There's 200 people in the room. There's five kids in the front row. So I come up and I go, how old are you? Kids like six. Okay. How old are you? I'm eight and you nine and you 11. Huh? A six, eight, nine and 11 year old in a front row at a comedy show. Solid parenting right there, buddy. That is, that is really thoughtful. Maybe you guys should throw some dice after this. Have some Irish car bombs. You know what I mean? Who doesn't like those? And it's because it's because it's uh, stupid. That's, that's what it is. You know what I mean? If you think, that bringing your kid to a comedy show that's six years old and sit him in the front row is a good idea, you're wrong. And so, but they do it anyway because they're like, oh, that'll be fun. The comedian will jack with them. And I do, dude. I tear these kids apart. You know, it's so fun. Yeah, I've done a couple of these condo gigs where there's a kid, luckily only like two or three people bring their kids down and you make some jokes with it. And I've been asked to do a couple, like, because I list myself as a clean comedian. I could do 20, 30 minutes clean. Uh, but here's the problem with it is it's not kid uh, material. It's material. I could say that people are going to laugh at and then kids are going to hear and they're not going to get offended or get bad ideas by, but the kids aren't going to find any of it funny. Yeah. They're not going yeah, to get not it. Gonna get it. I'm not a clown. And that's, I think mm-hmm. what a lot of people misconstrue when they see clean comedian and they're like, Oh, a comedian will tell jokes that my kid's going to like, they're expecting somebody goofy to come out and like, fall down and squirt people with, with a flower and stuff. And it's like, no, I'm not a clown. I'm a comedian. I, I say things you're, I'm thought provoking. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to provoke thoughts of laughter out of you. Like, let's not, I'm not that highbrow. I'm just trying to say things that that'll make yeah. you laugh. But yeah, kids aren't going to be on that level of cerebralism, even puns. Kids don't even get puns. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, I mean, I can imagine if you're bringing kids on a cruise ship, there's nobody to babysit the kids. So it's like you're dragging the kids along with you. Oh, there is places for them. There's, there? there's daycare centers and stuff like that, that are on the ship. They have, yeah, there's huge, there's areas where all these kids can play together and it's great. But sometimes the kids are like, I want to go to the comedy show, you know, and, and the parents don't know the parents think to themselves. They're like, well, it's, you know, it's gotta be, you know, they said family friendly. So they get, you know, and I always say that I'm like, I don't do balloon animals. <laughs> so here we go. Um, and you know, you just have to cope with it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you walk a line and I'll have to throw these little tricks in and I'm like, uh, I'll say a joke and I go, I'm walking a tight wire here, folks. And I go, I said, don't worry. These, I said, these go right over the top of their heads. So that's what we're doing here. It's like old episodes of Scooby-Doo, you know, it's a good thing they're growing over their heads because they're only four foot eight, eight inches tall. Which, yes, by the way, I grew that. up, I was born in 81, so I grew up just after the comedy bubble burst. Um, so I was at the tail end of the 70s comedy bubble, where to me, growing up, t- stand-up comedy was still everywhere. It was all over the TV. We knew who comedians were, you know, throughout the 80s and er- into the early 90s. So for me, as a 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old, I would die to go see a comedy show. And I would pay attention because I was watching comedy and ingesting comedy because 
even at a, a small kid, I knew that I wanted to grow up to be a comedian. Uh, and so for me, I would love to sit in the front row as a six, seven, eight year old watching a comedy show. My parents also probably, yeah, well, my parents let me watch yeah. comedy on TV, so they probably would have talked me to a club if it advertised a clean show. And I was like, please, please, please let me go. So I can't fault some of the parents who had kids are like, this will be fun right. to go. This will be, this is what I want. But also at the same time, I feel like a lot of them are just dragging their kids along because they think it'll be, so. it's Disney on ice for them. They'll sit there and it's, you know, a comedy show for a kid, a clean comedy show for a kid. It's just another iPad stick in front of the kids so so they don't scream and cry for an hour. You know, the thing is, is these, these people will bring their kids. They'll put them in the front row and then they'll go sit in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know what I mean? And so I don't know. It is what it is, man. It's it's part of the job. And uh, I used to I used to be frustrated with it. But now uh, I can work with it. And, uh, you know, it just forced me to stretch my wings a little bit. My allergies are absolutely killing me. <laughs> Kentucky is one of the worst states for allergies. It's amazing, man. I'm eating Zyrtec like M&Ms. See, I've, I've been blessed that I have no allergies. Uh, I do have now, I'm finding out I have adverse reactions to opiates, which means I can't take uh, pain relievers uh, because it causes more pain, which is weird because being from Baltimore oh, wow. and being allergic to heroin is like being from Boston and being allergic to racism. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom. By the way, so you're talking about uh, the, the cruise lines started adding more and more adult shows. How long ago was that that change from you know doing only clean shows to start adding in more adult shows? Was that a recent uh, decision or was that some time ago? Uh, some time ago. Okay. They this this particular line, I think, had the comedy on the ships for about six months. And then they were just forced. Oh, okay. Uh, forced to do it. Because I was curious so, as to yeah. someone who's been doing um, cruise ships for a long time. You did them pre-pandemic, and now you're back doing them, even though mm -hmm. the pandemic's still going. What have you noticed differently in cruise lines pre the pandemic? Which once the pandemic hit, and there was that one cruise ship that was, you know, full of COVID, uh, and everyone's like, "Oh, we're never going to do cruise ships again." And lo and behold, 2022, here we are doing cruise ships. Again, what safety protocols, what of course differences has that industry put in that you have noticed as being a, as they call it, entertainment guest? Other than the fact that they were only at 50% and 30% in the beginning. Uh, and then you had to wear masks in public. You still had to be, you know, vaxxed and stuff like that. Um, but they did have some unvaxxed people. I think they were experimenting with that, but they never went with it. Um, but you had to be vaxxed. Um, you had to bring proof. Uh, but you had to wear masks in the common areas. You know what I mean? Like if you're just out, if you're out of your room, you got to wear a mask mm. unless you're eating or drinking, you know? So that was the only thing. Um, and it was tough to make people laugh and have a mask on their <laughs> face, you know? And so... It was just, you know, it was, it was, but you know, now it's the same now it's the same exact thing there. You know, people are just out and about now, man, you know? And so that's where we're at. Yeah. Because here in Boston, we just, uh, released the mask mandates. Um, uh, so masks are strongly encouraged in certain places like public transit and the government buildings. And of course, businesses can require masks or not. Sure. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. Masks are done. You know, we're, we're right. mass rules are over with. I'm okay with it. 
if I'm on a crowded train, I'll put a mask on. Uh, but for the most part, I'm not wearing masks. And that's what I've been doing. But that I'm also finding myself still getting yeah. incredibly concerned with my safety of it. And I've been lucky enough to never catch COVID the whole time. And now I don't want to catch it now because it's like, it's the last moment. I, wow. I feel like it's embarrassing to catch it now. But, uh, and also I have to worry about like, if I get COVID, I, you know, I work freelance. I don't have sick days. If I get COVID, I'm not, I'm, I'm out of work for yeah. a week. I don't get that pay. I don't get to sit at home. Like my roommate, he got yeah. COVID and he just got to work from home and he still got paid that whole week, two weeks that he worked from home with COVID. I don't have that luxury. And that's a huge concern mm-hmm. of mine. Do you feel the anxiety of worried about getting COVID and then passing it on to your daughter? Because I'm not a germaphobe person. I'd like to, I'll quote my friend, Corey Rodriguez, who says he's not germphobic. He's just germ aware. And I'm becoming increasingly more and more germ aware as he says. And it's filling me with a little of anxiety that I, did not anticipate. And I'm lucky enough to not have anyone in my immediate circle that if I get them infected with COVID, it'll be life threatening for them. It's just me and my financial. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, you know, here's the thing. I was, I was on a, I'm not worried about it on the ships now. I mean, I've been boosted and vaxxed, you know, everything. And so, plus I've already had it. I had it over new year's, which was crazy because I was on the ship with uh, Catherine and Kenna we're staying in the same room together, sleeping all in the same bed. I ended up getting COVID and they didn't. So the last day or two of the trip, I had to be quarantined. And then I had to be in Miami in a hotel for three days, uh, which they still haven't reimbursed me for. But anyway, that's another thing. Um, so I had to I had to do that. But it was amazing that they never got it. It's incredible. Neither uh, neither Catherine nor Kenna has ever had COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. You hear that story. Like, my roommate had it. I think both my roommates had it. I know one of them definitely did, and I think the other one got it from him, but I didn't. You know, and, of course, when I found out he had it, I was like, you're to stay in your room. If you come out to use the bathroom, it is to be masked. You're only ordering food. Right. I'll deliver it to your door. And, like, because I can't afford to catch this. Uh, That's yeah, right. And, again, I'm... Healthy enough to where I know I'll get through it, but it's the financials that I was so much more worried about than anything else. Like, I can't afford to take off from any of the small little jobs I have. Well, here's the thing. I was, that did happen to me. I lost three weeks of work. I was supposed to work on uh, Norwegian for three weeks after that, and I ended up losing three work three weeks of work, which was substantial for me. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a month's you know, worth of I pay. I mean, that was, it's substantial. And so, yes. And when you're talking about comedy, you know, because you in comedy, you 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 don't make a steady wage. You make uh, I'm working this week wage. Yeah. And uh, and so those those three weeks, they hurt, man. They were right in the beginning of the year because I always front load and back load my schedule. Like in January, February and March, I'll work a lot, maybe even in April. And then in May, June, July, and August, I kind of lay low a little bit so I can stay home for the summer and golf and, hang, you know, stay with my family and hang out and, and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, back out on the road uh, in the winter months, you know. And so taking that three weeks away was quite the bummer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it is what it is. But I'm just glad that, you know, I'm glad I got it and it was okay. But it was a little scary the first few days because you never know if you're going to be one of those people that it really affects, or if you're just going to be one of those people that's like, eh, I don't know. I had, you know, it was like a cold and, you know, wasn't much, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you don't know how bad it's going to be because some people are lucky and they're they, it's a mild cold, and some people are you know incubated. Um, yeah, that's that. I get yeah. I guess that mm-hmm. just comes down to our our just general human fear of the unknown. Um, but all right, so we we're talking about where you're at yep. now with doing uh cruise ships. Uh, actually, you know, let me ask you this before we go backwards on on things. Do you? Do you have somebody, uh, management, assistant, or anybody who's taking care of all the scheduling, booking things, or do you and Catherine do those things yourself? Uh, what do you mean for my comedy career? Yeah, for your comedy career, are you guys? Uh, do you have representation working with you about? Is there is there representation for cruise ships? I don't I don't know how somebody gets into cruise ships. Is there uh, like are you taking and fielding all these calls and schedules yourselves, or it's like somebody? From the cruise ship is a representative that does all the that scheduling and stuff for you. How does the actual scheduling mm-hmm. of your working on ships work out? Well, some people um, don't have agents, but those are people that worked for the company for many, many years. And they know they have relationships with people inside the company. And so they're like, why am I paying somebody 10 or 15 percent mm-hmm. when I can just make the calls myself? Right. Because the cruise ships make once you get in, it's really hard to get in. Uh, because the money's good and there's no money in comedy clubs unless you're, you know, uh, a big name comic. Yeah. And so you can't make any money in a comedy club unless you're, you, you know, you're half famous or a quarter famous or you got a million Twitter people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, the clubs are paying less now than when I was coming up, like in the 90s, when I was when I was headlining in the 90s, early 90s. I was making mid nineties. Actually, I was making like twenty five hundred bucks a week. Now, the, the, you're lucky if you get you know seventeen hundred. Wow. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's you know before it used to include air airfare. It used to include every. I mean, it was it was amazing. But now you know comedy clubs are just different. You know they don't do the advertising like uh, they want the comic to do it all. You know they want the comics social. And there's other things that go into it. So getting in the getting in the cruise ships is very, very difficult now because it's not a stigma like it used to be. It used to be like the cruise ships are where comics go to die. You know, if that's where your career was, it was over. Um, and I'm not going to say that doing cruise ships isn't a career for me. It's like I'm going there to write material and pick up a check. And then when I come home, I'll work on my career. You know what I mean? Okay. And so that's, you know, like voiceover, if, uh, you know, whatever corporate I'm seeing, you know, uh, try to get, you know, TV and stuff like that. So, um, I, you know, there's agencies that you have to get in with, right? So you have to have a certain kind of tape. And then those agencies are constantly pestering the, the cruise cruise lines, you know, because cruise lines, like everybody else, they want to keep it easy. You know, everybody likes, uh, the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. right? So they use guys and gals that they've been using forever. And, um, and, and, you know, it's really hard to get in, but once you're in, um, you, you, you do need an agency. There's a couple agencies out there, Don Casino. There's, you know, they're probably the biggest, the agency I'm with is called artist West. And, um, it's a couple of guys that are comedians, but they've worked ships forever. And now they have a really, really nice agency and they have, they're, they're great. They work for you. Um, they, they, you know, take care of getting the contracts. They take care of getting your airfare. They take care of, or, you know, you're, you're yeah. Getting all the stuff that I don't want to do. And it's worth it to me to pay somebody 10%. 
um, to do. Okay. And so, um, you know, if you have a problem or a beef, you know, it's, it's easy to call your agent and go, Hey man, this is a, this is a problem. I ain't good with this, you know? And then that way you're not the whiner. Uh, they are. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, to answer your question, there are agencies and, uh, there are, you can go solo too. Like at this point in my career, I could go, you know, and just call them like at the beginning of the year, what they do is they go, send us your availabilities for the year. Well, 95% of the comedians are just go, I'm available the entire year, you know? So then, yeah, like me, I don't work birthdays. I don't work holidays. Um, there's uh, certain certain golf tournaments and things like that I choose not to miss. Um, things, that's the truth. And things like that, you know, so I, I kind of I keep those things sacred. I only want to work a certain amount of weeks. I like to work about 10 weeks a year on cruise ships is great because then I can bring the family, two, three of them. And, you know, I still pull up a good pay check out of them. And uh, and then, uh, you know, and I don't live on there because you can, boy, I'll tell you what, you can get addicted to that money. And some, you know, so what happens is after you put your veils at some point in, you know, in November or December of the year before, you'll get an email with your offers. And some people will get 30 weeks offered to them. Some people will get six weeks offered to them. You know what I mean? And you can pick and choose which ones you want. And then, uh, then they go from there. And then throughout the year, you know, you'll pick up ones because people will cancel and stuff like that. But it's very simple. Like in J mid January, I had my schedule for the entire year. Okay. Wow. That's handy to know. But also yeah. that answers my question because I didn't know if there was an yep. agency that only did cruise ships, which sounds like that's what there is because I'm thinking, I'm like, if you have your own personal there agent is. or manager or person and they're trying to deal with Norwegian, Disney, all these, like trying to get that, you know, they're trying to deal with all these different cruise lines and clubs and all that. I can imagine that's got to be maddening for the person in that position, but just to have, this is the agency that books all my cruise line stuff. I deal with them. They handle all the different cruise lines. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for the cruise lines, it's advantageous for them to go to just yep. one agency to get their comedians instead of having to deal with 30 different people representing 30 different people as well. Yeah. So that can be maddening. So that's good to know that that business yeah. is organized in that way. And that makes it a lot easier for you. Yeah. But, but there are, there are some that uh, have, uh, you know, agents or managers that only have like one or two clients that work with the cruise ships, you know, and, uh, but those people usually, you know, um, that's kind of a long story, but the, you know, it, it, getting into the cruise ships, it's essential to have an agent, you know, it's essential. You're never getting in without one. Yeah. So we've talked about where you're at now in the business. Let's, uh, let's go backwards and start about how you got into the business because you started, like I said, I grew up in the eighties and nineties watching the end of the the seventies comedy bubble where comedy was everywhere for me. And that's about when you started, you started in early in the early to mid eighties, right? Um, you know, I, I, I disagree with you on this. Okay. Um, I did. Uh, I did start in 88. I start first time I went on stage was in 87. Okay. Um, the comedy boom was starting to ha was happening then. Really? Okay. I don't remember. I don't know anything about it being that way in the 70s. But I know starting in the beginning of the 80s, 83, 84, 85 is when comedy clubs started popping up throughout the country. Hmm. And okay. um, that was 
the best time in the world to come. When I, when I started comedy, it was the absolute best time in the world to start doing stand-up comedy because there were more clubs than comics. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there wasn't Comedy Central. Yep. So you would you would get these, you know, you would get these gigs. You'd be so happy. There was certain chains. There was the punchline chain that had like probably 13 clubs. They were ran by Chris DePetta and Ron D'Annunzio and a guy named Dave Montesano. And that's the that's the where that was the, the gold standard. And they were out of Atlanta, but they booked these 13 clubs. Then there was um you know, there was the improvs, but there wasn't a ton of them at that time. Funny Bones were a big comedy club chain. And so if you could get with the Funny Bones and the Punchline, you were dialed in. You know, then there was Creative Entertainment and a couple of other ones. But there were more comedy clubs than there were comics. That's where there was a lot of bad comedy. There was a lot of bad comedy, a lot of real, you know, hacky people coming up and people that were just, you know, just doing it because they could get a gig. And so... Um, but then Angel Salazar, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> uh, but those went on for a long, that went on for a long time. It, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until probably er, late, probably early two thousands that comedy started to change in the clubs because of comedy central and comedy got a little saturated and the comedy clubs weren't, you know, doing all the advertising, they weren't doing all this stuff. And then it just completely changed. But there was also another great thing about um, comedy at that time. Like when I was coming up, everybody wanted to have a sitcom, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to have what uh, Roseanne Barr had, what Tim Allen had, what then eventually Ray had and what uh, Kevin James ended up having. That's That was the natural progression. It's like the movie Swingers, you know? That was the natural progression. And then you would, you know do comedy, you know, try and base it on your life. Right. And then you hopefully would get some great management agency. And then maybe you got to Montreal and went to new faces. And then after that, hopefully you signed what they would call a development deal. And then you would get, they would sign comics and they go, all right, here's 150 or 200 or $250,000. And then they would try and write a, uh, they would own you for a year and they would try to write a show around your comedy and uh, if it didn't work out, then you just got a big old fat check, you know. And um, the year I had, I ended up, I ended up getting three of those, three consecutive years. And then the 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 last year that I had one was the last year the big checks were written. <laughs> After that, they just went, "We're done doing this." And part of that was Mitch Hedberg's fault because he signed a half a million dollar deal uh, with Fox, and then he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Uh, which did. was right. He just took the money and made a movie and did a heroin. Yeah. The, the timing in my, in my head is a little, maybe different to you because you, you lived it and I'm watching what I went through. You know, I through those period was a viewer uh, and an intaker of comedy, whereas you were a person involved with it. And I feel like right. always when I listen to it, it's like seventies, to mid eighties was the comedy boom. That's when all the clubs started popping up. That's when comedy was all over TV and everybody was hot and, hot and then the way it looked to right. me is like through the mid 80s to to mid 90s that's when comedy was around it moved into sitcom and that's when live stand-up started disappearing from the tvs and for me from mid 90s to like 2005 ish other than comedy central i almost never right. saw stand-up anywhere and then of course around 2005 2010 ish that's when yeah. comedy started rebooming um and i think we're still in that renaissance of it but um uh, so where you're, so you started 
you know, you grew up in Kentucky. You started comedy in Kentucky. When did you decide to make yeah, your no, move I to didn't. L.A.? Oh, you didn't start in Kentucky? No, I grew up in Wisconsin. See, I that's a, I always I know you live, you know, you and Catherine live in Kentucky and L.A. You go back and forth. But I've always pictured both your accent and your demeanor as being southernly, gentlemanly, like gentle southern person, not Midwestern. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I grew up in Wisconsin. All right. And um, I did. I was a machinist when I graduated high school because I just didn't plan. You know what I mean? I just didn't plan ahead. And uh, I didn't know if I was going to go to college to wrestle or what I was going to do. But uh Turned out I didn't uh, do that. And then I became a machinist and I was, I mean, just absolutely miserable, dude. I mean, like you could not hated a job and yeah. where my life was headed any more than what I did. I had a, I had a girlfriend that was annoying as shit. I had a machine shop job that I fucking hated. I was working <laughs> nine hours a day and then five hours on, uh, on Saturday. And uh, it was just crazy. And then, um, the owner of the company that I worked for um, came up to me one day and he said, uh, hey, Scott, me and my wife went to this comedy club that opened downtown. Um, and we both thought of you. Uh, and I was like, oh, OK. He goes, yeah, you should go down and uh, uh, go down and check it out. You know, I bet you'd probably like it. And uh I said, okay. So I called my girlfriend. I was like, Hey, I want, you know, my, you know, my boss told me there's this, uh, this comedy club downtown <laughs> and it was called the comedy corner. It was Papa Giles. And, uh, so we went down there and saw a show. We saw John uh, Mendoza. Uh, do you know the John Mendoza? I know. I know that name, but it might be because I know the name Mendoza, which is a baseball player. And we have a show here in Boston called the Mendoza line, which is, named after the baseball player. Oh, yeah. So I think I'm just conflating all the versions of Mendoza that I know. Oh, all right. Well, uh, John Mendoza was a great comedian, real acerbic dude. He, op he opened for Howie Mandel for years too. Um, but he, uh, he was the headliner. And then a guy named Manny Oliveira was the middle act. And there was a guy named Dobie Maxwell, who was the opening act. And so we saw Dobie <laughs> go up and then we saw uh, Manny Oliveira go up and he was fantastic. And then after that, they said, Hey, we got to open mic every Monday. And my girlfriend was like, you should do this. And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, you should do this. You should do this. You're you, this is, you should do this. And I go, all right. So the following Monday I went up on stage and just ate shit. And then the following Monday I went up on stage and just <laughs> ate shit. <laughs> and that just went on for quite a while. Um, and so, um, so anyway, uh, then I started finding a little something. I was doing some impressions, doing some things like that. And then they asked me to be the house MC. And so I did it Tuesday through Sunday. And then I still had my machine shop job, but they were paying me like 200 bucks a week. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting paid to do comedy. And so I did that for about a year and I went down an audition for, uh, Ron Denunzio and Chris Petta, and they ended up giving me a bunch of work and then. That was uh, April 88. And, and then uh, the first place I worked was all through the South, the Southeast. I worked, uh, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Jacksonville, Atlanta, uh, Huntsville, uh, Birmingham, you know. So I just, and I got addicted to Southern women. 
and uh, had to go to a 12 step program for that. <laughs> uh, and so um, I ended up just, you know, having a little bit of a Southern accent and then uh, doing voiceover. Uh, I started doing a lot of Southern stuff. And so, um, so that's, that's why it's like that. So then, you know, I was in LA for 28 years and then we wanted to get out and we ended up moving to Lexington cause I knew a whole bunch of people here from doing a golf tournament here, uh, for years, a charity golf tournament. And so that's how I ended up here. When was the move to LA growing up? Cause you know, I, I started in Baltimore. I live in Boston. And to me, the reason I left Baltimore is cause I want to do comedy in a city that was bigger and better than Baltimore because if you're doing comedy in Baltimore, the best you can hope for right. is being the best comedian in Baltimore. And Mickey Coachella already holds that title. Right. So why battle him for it? Uh, so, but I always knew Boston was a stepping stone to New York or right. LA for me. Uh, I knew that because I had a pedigree of 20 years of stand-up comedians to, to watch and to learn from um, growing in the industry. So starting out for you, someone in a, in a small town, Wisconsin and traveling and doing the road, when did it become apparent to you that you need to move to LA to further your career? And now that you have done that, would you still make that decision today? I always think I was in probably seventh grade and I just stood up in front of my family and I said, I'm going to move to California and I'm going to have i I'm going to have a television show. Right. And my mom's knitting. She's like, that's great, honey. You know, and my dad's like, get out of the way. You know, so, uh, <laughs> which is true. So I always, you know, that's what I always wanted to do, you know? And, and so I got out on the road and I was out there for about, you know, four years. And, and it's always the, back then it was always when you're going to move to LA, you know, if you want to have a sick time, you got to move to LA. I wanted to act as well. So I guess about four years in four or five years in, I got a, a call. Hey, you want to submit a, you want to submit, man, it's probably six years in. You want to submit a tape to this, this show that's going to go on this brand new network called Fox. And, uh, it was called Fox's comedy express. And, uh, I said, yeah, and they okayed me. And I went out and there was a comedy club there called Igby's that they shot it at. And I got out there and I called a friend of mine who I know lived there. And I was like, dude, um, I'm coming out there to shoot this thing. And he's like, wow, man, great. He picks me up from the airport. We went down to this little restaurant in Hermosa Beach, California called Good Stuff. And we're sitting there and there's girls rollerblading by in bikinis and there's beach volleyball players all over the place and the weather's <laughs> perfect. And it's and uh, I'm just like, wow, look at this, man. It's paradise. And he goes, we got an open room. And I said, Done. And that's how I ended up moving to Los Angeles. And um, it was it was absolutely the best decision. I, I mean, I'd go back and do it a hundred times. You know, it was first of all, living in Hermosa Beach is heaven on earth, especially when you're a young kid. And I was the I was one of the house MCs at the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. And so. It was fantastic. And then you know, started moving up, getting auditions, um, getting representation. And then at a certain point I had to move out of Hermosa beach because it was too far away from Hollywood. And you know, it all worked out, man started, you know, performing at the improv a lot and doing, you know, and so then, you know, one night I went up in front of, uh, uh Mitch Hedberg at the improv, uh, after he came back from Montreal and signed that half a million dollar deal. 
and I went up and did a set in front of uh, at in front of him at the improv uh, with the entire industry in the room, and I had no idea they were there. Presidents of networks, president, uh, you know, casting people, managers, agents, everybody, the best of everything was there that night. And a woman named Erin who booked the improv, I found out recently, booked me on that show on purpose, and she changed my life after that show. Um, I had managers and agents calling me like crazy the next day. I met with all of them and I ended up signing with a big one and then went to Montreal and, you know, signed the consecutive deals. And unfortunately the shows never made it on the air. Um, but it was, it was amazing, man. I was amazing. I just got to the point after being there 28 years that it was, I was ready to go. So, Yeah. That's the that's the whole situation, but I didn't regret it at all. I loved it. It was the best. Do you think with the way comedy is now with uh, the internet uh, and industry being all around more more or less? Like, I mean, there's so much film and TV, you know, movies and TVs made here in New England. Um, do you think for comedians who are starting out, is it still as imperative to go to New York or L.A.? Because I'll listen to com- to people who are you know my on my same level as comedy and they'll and i'll hear them talking about stuff it's like they'll they'll you know get a netflix deal and then i'll find out they've only been doing comedy six or eight years and i've been doing it 12 and i'm like oh it's because they spent their six years in new york where there's the opportunities are there do you think it's still that way where or, or maybe it's just they're twice as better than i am that's why they got it faster but do you think the industry is all around or do you still think if you want to make it as a comedian you, you your best bets to get noticed is new york and la i don't know the answer to that question but i would assume that it would still be good to go to new york or la i think you still want to be at the comedy store you still want to be at the laugh factory you still want to be at the improv you know and in new york you still want to do carolines and all the other clubs there and that's where you know yeah you can be as funny as you want to be, but if nobody's looking at you, you know what I mean? But you can do stuff on TikTok. You can do stuff, you know, on Instagram, things like that, and you can get your name out there. But I think it's still important to be able to go to a club in New York or L.A. Plus, that's where your competition is going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you want to be able to compete because when you're just playing out on the road, <clears throat> you don't know. You don't know who you're uh, competing against. You just don't, you know, you're just out there by yourself doing comedy and crowds are like, we love you. And that's it. That's a good way of looking at it. That's, that's an experience I had that you still need to be knowing what's going on around you. Like there's so many people that stop growing because they don't have that hunger. They don't see what's going on around them. Like I even see bigger name comedians who will do a Netflix special and I'm watching it. And I'm like, dude. 400 people have already made these jokes. Why are you, you know, you're the best of the best. Why are you still making the joke? And it's because they don't have the hunger to go out and see what's going on and compete against other people. So it's good that you have that realization to see what that that's, yeah. what's still important out there. Um, And then, you know, we'll wrap up with talking about your yeah. new business venture uh, because you are a part of the machine. And now uh, I say this with endearment. You're now you and Catherine, your wife have decided to become part of the machine um, by launching the big comedy network, um, which I'm completely fascinated with how that whole process mm-hmm. is begin. Cause like 
your wife, Catherine works in the corporate world, creating businesses and, and stuff like that. I got nothing. I know none of that stuff. I grew up, you know, a poor white kid in Baltimore city where if my parents wanted to start a business, it was selling pit beef outside a pit beef outside of a, uh, outside of their friend's bar. That's how we started business. You just opened up shop right. and started doing things. We didn't know anything about taxes right. or licenses or you know, that stuff. So you guys are taking a big jump into yeah. that venture. Now um, let's start with what was the, why did you guys decide that you wanted to create your own network? Well, clubhouse, we started on clubhouse uh, last February year and 15 months ago. And Somebody had told me about Clubhouse, which is that audio app. You're, I know yes. you're familiar with it. And so um, we started doing uh, Clubhouse and we had, you know, Comedy Lounge was the original name of what our club was. And we started doing, we had our talk show, me and Josh Sneed and Catherine was also a part of that. And we just had people on and it got real, it got popular, you know what I mean? Um and I had a lot of my friends that I known from the business, uh, you know, big name people that were like, yeah, I'll come on, man. And some great writers and stuff like that. And so, you know, we worked hard at uh, building that network. And so, um, unfortunately, the people that are the founders of that app, you know, what we were hoping for is that we were going to start that thing on this brand new technology. And at some point the shit was going to go viral and we were going to be on that first car, you know what I mean? And then go viral with it. And unfortunately that never happened. Um, and whether it's mishandled by them or whatever the deal was, that just never happened. So after about, a, I don't know, maybe nine, 10 months of that, uh, eh, maybe close to a year. And we were like, uh, this ain't working. Um, we're spending a lot of time on this thing working. So we ended up, we're like, let's, our friend Ewan and Catherine and I were like, let's start this. Uh, I want to do a comedy network, like all things comedy, you know, uh, like Bill Burr's thing. And so my wife being the person that she is, a uh, corporate strategist, man, she just, we just started going and we were like, it'd be great to help people be great to get some podcasts of people that are underrepresented or not yet famous or, uh, you know, that we believe in and stuff like that and give them that format. And, and then we're going to, you know, we're doing, we're going to do streaming. We're going to do specials. We already have, um, we have some really interesting people that are coming on too. We're not like, if you go to some of the other websites, you see, there's a lot of mostly just white <laughs> men, you know, and so we're trying to do something a little different, inclusive, like what we did um, on Clubhouse. We had a very, you know, very woman heavy and, and stuff like that. And so um, we uh, have young filmmakers putting stuff on our, we have a licensing deal with uh, Amazon. We have, you know, with the audio networks and, and all this kind of stuff. And so we uh, are just opening a comedy club in the JW Marriott in Savannah, Georgia, uh, the soft opening is going to be in July and the launch will be uh, in August. And that'll be a once a month, five shows that week, every weekend on that month. It's like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, five shows. And we'll be doing that once a month uh, in that venue. It's a beautiful, beautiful $371 million venue, uh, 14 bars and restaurants. It's right on the river in Savannah. It's called Plant Riverside. It's gorgeous. And uh, what happened was, 
there was a cruise director that I worked with uh, on Norwegian Cruise Lines. His, his name is Tyler, and he left the cruise lines, and he ended up working for this company, and he called me up about probably about eight months ago, and he goes, there's no comedy in Savannah, Henry. You do this uh, big comedy thing that you're doing, uh, or, you know, the, the, at that time, it's just Comedy Lounge, and uh, he goes, you know, put a club down here. So Catherine put together the business plan, and at the same time, we were just starting to build a big comedy network and conceiving it and finding the name. <clears throat> and then we recently just closed the deal. And so we're starting that and it's going to be big comedy uh, presents, you know, at the, the district in, um, in uh, uh, Savannah. And so we're, we're starting that all out and I'm very excited about it. And that'll be a big part of, you know, what we do. And hopefully we'll be shooting our specials out of there. And, and I have a lot of really good ideas about, we're super creative, friend, creator friendly too. A lot of these companies that take on comics there, I'm not saying big comedies like this are not big comedy, but all things comedies like this. I have no idea what there is, <laughs> but I know some companies are not as creator friendly as we want to be. We want to let you own your stuff. We want to, you know, take a percentage that is fair. We want to do the things that are, you know, the, that the, you know, I'm a, I'm a comic for 33 years. You know, I don't want to screw anybody out of anything because I don't want to be screwed out of anything. And so that's all it is. We just want to we want to help. We want to bring uh, we want to bring talent to the forefront. That's great that somebody, you know, and I don't don't I'm no, I don't want to be insulting when I say I'm out of your age, but you're somebody who's older and more experienced in life. It's far too easy for somebody of your age to look at the new technologies coming through and go, ah, that's for the kids. Uh, and you did it. You embraced it. You became a part of it, which is always inspiring to f meet other people who are open-minded enough to new things that they may not be familiar with, or that may not be their bag. Like me working in the music industry for years, I've always said that I don't want to become the old guy working at a radio station. That's going, and eh, music today is not as good as the music in my genre, yep. my era, yep. you know, and I try to take that same attitude yep. into other things. And I, when I can find someone else, or find groups of people that kind of have that same mindset of, hey, just because it's new doesn't mean it's bad. Um, and I think that's one thing that made me gravitate to Comedy yeah. Lounge. Um, and I was, uh, you know, we both know Philip uh, Wilburn very well. Um, and I tell Philip the reason I stayed with Clubhouse, yep. the way yep. reason I, the, as long as I have, is because of the Comedy Lounge and Big Comedy Network. You guys literally created a very inclusive network. Like we all, it was the big joke. That, uh, you know, we kept saying that there's no hierarchy here at the big comedy network <laughs> or the comedy lounge. But then it's yep. true. It was true. You kept saying there's a not. lot, but it, it, there was no hierarchy. Everybody is involved. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to that I found you guys and, and got to be a part of it. And I've learned a lot listening to the people that you guys yeah. brought into the show and um, just talking to everyone and, and, and being involved with all the other comedians and people who were involved. In it. And you guys did r really did put together a great, cool, fun thing. Um, and I'm glad to see that it's expanding. Um, and I'm glad to see that you nice. guys also know business better than I do, because I would have the same dreams to do the same thing, but not be able to pull it off. <laughs> I could never pull off uh, anything corporate, like anything that needs paperwork. I'm no good at. You're speaking to the <laughs> choir here. Uh, you know, think you know, dude, I appreciate you saying that too, because it was so nice to be able to, I was lost not having hanging out with comics during COVID. I was just lost. And then when this came up and I 
we started building this and, and it, I learned a lot through it and I got a lot out of it. And, you know, I couldn't start this big comedy on my own either. Do my wife is, my wife is a brilliant person. And, um, you know, we, we have also another consultant that we're working with who's a savant. And so this is not something that, you know, I had my take in, in building this network and I still do, but the, the base of this house is being built by Catherine and our consultant. And, you know, a part of the a base was me on um, clubhouse. So I'll take my ownership in that. But when it comes to the business stuff, my, my wife is responsible for that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And I mean, when I say you, I mean the two yeah. of you, because she's, yeah. she's literally your right hand in so many things. Like, almost never do they're the two of you it's amazing how the two of you are always on clubhouse at the same time in the same room on two different phones when it would just sometimes Wait. be easier the two of you talking into the same phone but you're both there you're both very present and paying attention oh that's right because you have the, yep. the big comedy network uh, account that, in there as well yeah, that's so, the yeah, ipad so and then we would always philip wilburn would always laugh because he'd be like <laughs> He'd do an impression of me. He goes, there's no hierarchy. And he'd do that. And then he would say, Catherine, mute your phone. <laughs> like, it was just great. It was so fun because we met so many great people like yourself. And now uh, hopefully we can all build Big Comedy Network together. By the way, if you want to uh, go to Big Comedy, uh, go to I Love Big Comedy. Uh, at, it's like at I Love Big Comedy. And I'm at uh, Scott Henry Comic. Yes, so, follow all the that. social media things because uh, no pun intended, but the big comedy network has big things uh, out on the uh, horizons there. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm obviously, I, I, we haven't made, I guess by the time we release this episode, it'll be officially announced that, that this podcast is also going to be on the big comedy network, uh, which I'm excited to be a part of. You know, we're, we're taking care of all of those logistic things and your wife, Catherine, is holding my hand through all the paperwork that I keep getting overwhelmed by. Because, <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah. not good at paperwork. Like I was writing down questions by hand, and my hand started cramping up because I'm. That's how bad I am at writing things. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. And then my like my hands all over the place. I you know. <laughs> and that final question on that, uh, since we talked the network and we're talking about hands, how do you do your notes uh, for comedy? Because everyone has their own particular style. Like, what's it? Uh, Jerry Seinfeld only writes on yellow legal pads. He has, yeah. you know, a mile high stack of all the legal pads he keeps. I write on different stupid notebooks. Um, each one's different than the than the next. And then I have to only write with the right particular type of pencil or the only there's only one type of pen I'll write with. And then, mm -hmm. of course, I put so much stuff in my phone. So you're a phone guy. See? Yeah. No, you, you, well, you got into the technology stuff. I no. I'm all over the place. I write on notes on app in the phone. I write in books. I write on post-it notes. I have so much unorganized note-taking. Well, what I do is I write the ideas in here in the notes and I go, oh, hey, and I, I voiced, uh, voice it in there. And then uh, <clears throat> when it comes time to write things, uh, then I take out a pad. Um, that uh, is, and I can only write effectively writing it down. I do the same thing as what Seinfeld does. I, I, hmm. That, that you know, that's the way I do it. Are you precious about what you write on? Like I said, I can only write with a certain type of pencil and a certain type of pen. I like to do these. Um, 
except bigger ones like this. And then okay. I'll put the ideas. Th and those are field notes. Uh, I'll, I'll just take these index cards and especially when I'm out and I'll write the idea on there. I'll write a couple of different thoughts I have about it. I'll put it on my mirror uh, in the, on the cruise ship and put it up there and think about it. And then I will take a, like a, a pad of paper and then I'll start writing it, you know? Um, but I keep that up there. I keep that up there to constantly refresh and look at it and know that it's in my mind. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. What was the? And then, you know, I'll just be driving and be like, oh. And then I try and throw it out on stage and I bring, I'll bring, you know, like a big one of these and just bring it on stage with like big, you know, big letters on it. And I'll just tell them, I go, this is new stuff. If, you know, y'all are good, we'll try some. And if y'all are bad, we'll still try some. And putting the index cards on the mirror so you're constantly looking at it and refreshing and thinking yeah. about it and it's there present in your mind is such a good idea. Yeah. Oh, I should start doing that. There was a time where I kept a dry erase marker in the shower because then I would get an idea. I can just grab the marker and write on the tile what my idea was because we both know you're, all our best ideas come in the shower yep. and we can't write soggy notes. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's, it's uh, well, that and when I'm, you know, when you're sleeping. And so now I wake up and write it down, period. I've forgotten a thousand times more jokes than I've ever written. And that's tragic. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our nightmare is, is oh, I have yep. this great idea. And yep. then you're like, oh, I'll remember that. And then you way. don't. That's our ever living waking nightmare. <laughs> All right, Scott, uh, it's great having you on. It's great hearing your story because I hear yeah. bits and pieces of it when we were doing things on Clubhouse. Um, and it's nice to hear all of it put together and condensed. And I think the, the, any of the people who are listening to this that are, uh, like me aspiring to be more involved and have your career more full time, uh, heard a lot of good things, especially with the cruise ship things, because I'm glad that the stigma of cruise ships is where comedians go to die is no longer a thing. Because when I heard about, Oh, I get to sit on a cruise ship for a week and do comedy and they're going to pay me and then I get to do buffets. That sounds like a dream to me. That sounds like an awesome thing. Why wouldn't yeah. nobody want, why wouldn't anybody want to do that? That sounds like I talk to comedians who talk about, Oh, the load, the road is such a lonely place. You're always by yourself. You're meeting new people all the time. You're having the same conversations over and over. You're always by yourself having to figure things out. I'm like, that's how I live now. Like I love that sounds like my, my absolute dream. Just get in a car, go somewhere, meet a, a hotel desk person, chat with them for 10 minutes, learn about them, you know, find out some of their lively things, and then go to your room, watch TV, go yeah. out, go to a restaurant. Like I do so much stuff by myself as it is already. It's not yes. that big of a change for me to do it in a different city. So I like this is why I think I'm driven to the businesses because everything that people think is a nightmare sounds like an absolute joy to me. The cruise ships can be a grind, man. It can be a grind, but you have to, you have to make yourself a schedule. I write out a schedule that I tape on the mirror. <laughs> it's like, all right, uh, go eat breakfast, uh, come back from breakfast, write a little bit. Um, and then once my food settles, I'll go to the gym I get back from the gym. Uh, this is going to sound like a nine-year-old, but a lot of times I'll just chill for a bit, take a little nap. Um, then I'll get up and, and listen to some podcasts or, you know, do things like that. Um, then I'll sit back down and do some writing. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to keep a schedule and you have to, it's hard, man. 
there's some stuff to it, but there's worse ways to make a living. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've got it figured out and it's working uh, for you. And you know what? It's glad to hear that somebody, me who have, who lives with obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of my life has to be regularly regulated and scheduled and stuff. And if I deviate from it, all chaos breaks loose. Right. So it's nice to hear that somebody who can also live their life scheduled, not in an obsessive uh, needs medication way like me, yeah. but can do it <laughs> uh, uh, properly. So it was great having you on. It was good to listen to, to the full history of you getting into comedy uh, because you know, you've been a good guy and you know, Catherine, you know, you're part of the reason why you're a good guy is because you have good, you surround yourself by good people as well. You've obviously been influenced to be a good people by those who are around you. So yeah. thank you much for, for, you know, making me feel always included and welcome and being on here. Um, and telling everyone your story, Scott. I appreciate it, Dennis. And it was so great to, you know, make the relationship through Clubhouse. And it was great you know, having you come on and do stand up. And those those days were always a lot of fun, man. And, and um, you know, we're just now we're going to grow another business. Let's grow this one um, into something really special, you know, and then we'll all be a family. Well, hopefully we'll, you know, we're going to have a whole bunch of podcasts. And, you know, at one point we're all going to meet somewhere and and have some drinks together and and uh, get to know each other and be able to use our family uh you know together it's going to be great